0: Unless you're a first-time listener, you've heard me talk about the flywheel, that core set of instructional practices that drive continual teacher growth. But what does this flywheel look like in practice, in a real school? We explore that answer today with a special principal who has a reputation for supporting and growing teachers. Hello, colleagues, and welcome to the Assistant Principal Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Frederick Buskey. I've been growing leaders and future leaders for over 30 years. Through my own experiences and through working with hundreds of other leaders, I've learned that school leadership is a journey that occurs in three phases. Urgent leaders spend their time completing tasks while intentional leaders invest their time building systems. But strategic leaders create time by growing people. In 2018, I founded Strategic Leadership Consulting to help make this journey more enjoyable for leaders like you. Through my daily email, monthly microjournal, online community, my upcoming book, and of course, this podcast, I keep you company on this journey and provide you with actionable ideas and tools to live and lead better today and tomorrow. Today, I'm joined by Eleanor McCauley, the principal at Fairview School in Silva, North Carolina, here in the Southern Appalachian Mountains. Eleanor is here with us today to talk about how she structures her instructional leadership team and the work that they do. Hello, Eleanor.
1: Hello. How are you today?
0: Uh, I'm good. We're just coming out of Christmas break uh, or winter break, so we've both got our, our batteries recharged and are excited, and I'm thankful for you being here today.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here as well.
0: So I've been working for a while to get you onto this show, and I want listeners to know that Fairview is a part of Jackson County Schools, which is actually my local district. And for years, I've been hearing administrators at multiple levels in this district rave about your instructional leadership, and I've been able to glimpse a little bit of that firsthand. So I'm really looking forward to having you on the show and digging into how you do instructional leadership in your school.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Okay, can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today?
1: Yes. So I um, went to Clemson University, and I was um, an elementary early childhood major. Go then Tigers. I, went to, I know. Go to for sure. Even though they lost the ball game, that's okay. I have a daughter at Clemson and a son at Tennessee, so he was pretty happy. Um, so I did my undergrad at Clemson, and then I got a job teaching in Greenville, South Carolina, teaching kindergarten. And um, I was very fortunate to work with a great team of kindergarten teachers. Um, And that was when four blocks was coming around and um, it was pretty um, new. And I joined a faculty that embraced that. And so I got to see firsthand what an implementation looks like in a school. And so we actually got to go observe at other schools um, around the state of South Carolina and and brought it back to our school. And I was with a young principal who really um, provided lots of PD. So feeling like I um, had lots of great experience that led me to where I am today. So I taught in South Carolina for about three years, um, kindergarten, and got my master's during that time, and then got married and moved to Georgia. And my husband was working on a PhD at the University of Georgia. And so I took a job teaching first grade there and then got an opportunity to be a reading recovery teacher. So I went to Georgia State University um, to get certified in that program. And that was probably the best PD I've ever been a part of because you teach behind a two-way mirror where your colleagues critique your instruction because your goal is to get a child to read in 12 to 16 weeks. And you're talking about the lowest readers in that first grade. And um, and so just the professional development and the specific feedback that you get from that was so huge. And so feeling like I really had the right opportunities as a young teacher. Um, and then my husband finished his PhD and moved to Western Carolina. And I got a job at Fairview. I taught as a classroom teacher for one year and then moved into an instructional coach role. Um, Literacy is definitely my background. And so I was in that coaching role for years and years. (laughs) And um, (laughs) I loved it because that's, I mean, what I enjoy is instruction. And so I was able to push into classrooms and model lessons and coach teachers and provide PD and Schedule visits at other schools to go see what else was happening. And so feeling like all those experiences brought me, I never thought I would actually be a principal, but all those experiences, I, I thought I really want more of a say so in the direction that we take. So I went back to school at Western Carolina and got my admin degree. And moved into AP and principal role pretty quickly after after that, and so um, we have been in Jackson County for 17 years, and have spent all those here at Fairview. Mm.
0: Um, So yes, Uh, that's that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. I want to revisit something you said about the reading recovery training that you had, Mm -hmm. because you know I spent a number of years coaching football and basketball athletics, and one of the things that just stays with me is. How much coaching athletes get in order to prepare their practice and in fact, the best athletes get the highest quality and the most coaching and and I went through an undergraduate program or master's program in physical education where our lessons were recorded and we had all of the we had our time coded in 15 second increments and just a really heavy analysis of our own teaching. And it was so, so powerful. And, and when I talk about the flywheel, I, I have that vision that somehow we get to that point where we're giving really meaningful feedback and support for teachers to, to improve their, their craft. So I appreciate you sharing that about the program that you went through at, you said Georgia state, I think.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Wonderful. Okay, We always like to start with celebrations. So what are you celebrating today?
1: Um, I'm I'm in a quiet building, so I'm getting a lot done. But I feel like um, our big celebration is we're putting systems here in place at Fairview that will long outlast individuals. And so I think some of that is is the problem is that you rely on certain people and, and we're trying to create a system. So it doesn't matter who the principal is. It doesn't matter who the assistant principal is. Because the systems will be in place, and when that leadership changes or teachers change, that system is still going to work. And that's our goal.
0: Okay, you may have just talked yourself into another podcast interview, (laughs) 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 because I know listeners are going to want to hear more about that work. I want to hear more about that work. So, Fairview is a pretty unique school. Can you just take a minute or two and, and help listeners understand the context that you're working in?
1: Yes, so we, our population is almost 800 students, and so between the staff here, I have about 100 people that work here, Um, and that's custodians, cafeteria teachers, TAs, the whole the whole gamut after school workers. Um, we are a K-8 school, which makes us different because we we actually are pre-K, I should say, through eighth grade. So we don't have a traditional middle school here in Jackson County. All of our schools are K-8 schools, are pre-K through eighth grade. So we um, run the gamut from the from the littles to the bigs. And so that can sometimes provide a challenge, having the resources that you need for four-year-olds versus 13-year-olds. Um, We also are um, a school with pods and so we have a kindergarten building that has closed classrooms and that houses our pre-k classrooms and our kindergarten classrooms. And then we have a seventh and eighth grade building, which is the traditional closed classroom, but all of our other classrooms are open. And so the walls are furniture. And so the walls don't extend to the ceiling and the classrooms look like pie pieces. Um, And so you really have to um, have really good classroom management because you have to keep the noise level productive, but not it can't interrupt the instruction because you've got six to eight classrooms in that pod that are all teaching at the same time.
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting arrangement and certainly presents challenges but also fantastic opportunities and uh you know when I was working with Holly a, a couple years ago just being able to stand in the center of that pod and see what's happening in every classroom was fascinating and I in multiple ways I think it makes it easier to To keep tabs on what's happening in classrooms and how teachers are doing, but also to do it in a way that's much less intrusive.
1: You're right, because you don't open the door and have, you know, 20 eyes looking at you. You can move through a pod, and the students, teachers don't even really pay you attention because they're so used to that. I would say another really big plus is the collaboration. You don't go in your room and shut your door and do your own thing. You can, I mean, you hear your neighbors teaching, and so, you know, it, and, and it helps because we do common planning here. And so it kind of helps you know, is everybody on the same page, is everybody teaching the same thing. And you can be a lot more visible because you can hit six and eight classrooms in in a cycle. Um, and so the goal is to get through every building, every class, every day. And it does make it easier when those classrooms are open that way. Teachers like it, you know, at first, I think there's there's a little skepticism when they come, but once they get here, you know, all the kids, you know, all the staff, you don't go in your room and shut your door and do your own thing. Um, And, and you're, I think you teach to a higher level because you always know that somebody is there. Um, And so it's that accountability piece, um, but a positive accountability piece, not a negative.
0: And, and I will use that to put a plug in for rural schools. Uh, It seems a lot of the The research, the books, the conversations that go on are geared towards urban and suburban schools. And sometimes I feel like our rural schools get left out of that conversation. And for anybody that's never been a part of a rural school community, I think you you really need to look at that because rural schools are a community. And when we talk about it taking a village in rural schools, people understand that at inside the school and outside the school.
1: And we're offered a offer a lot of things that maybe you don't in a in a bigger district like a dental clinic. We have a health center here. And so kids can go see a doctor while they're on campus. And so I do feel like we have lots of opportunities in our community that maybe you don't have other places.
0: Yeah. I love it. Okay. Back in episode 27, I talked about the flywheel of education. And the basic idea is that by engaging in a core set of practices, we drive continual improvement and our teachers experience support and growth. And that that executing that flywheel constantly leads to better outcomes for our students. And as I presented it, the flywheel has three major components. So the first is providing professional development for teachers. And that's as individuals, maybe in a coaching cycle, or it could be a group of teachers or maybe even the whole school if we're implementing a reading program or something like that. But we provide professional development. We then follow that professional development up with targeted observations. So if we're working on strategies for higher order questioning, then we actually follow that training up with observations focused specifically on implementation of that questioning. And then we use the data from those observations to inform the next cycle of professional development. And so by doing that, we're bringing new skills to our teachers and then following up, making sure that implementation is strong and continuing that cycle. So it seems like a it's a simple, basic idea, but of course, execution is challenging and every school is different. So I can trot out the model and explain it. But I think it's really important for people to hear how different principles enact that system, whether or not you call it a flywheel. I know that you have processes in place for supporting, consistently supporting teacher growth. And I already heard you say every building, every class, every day. And I think that would be a great mantra for people to think about embracing. Okay. So I want to be quiet. I want to step back and then just have you talk through how you do teacher growth and maybe start talking about your your instructional leadership team, who's on it, how is it structured, what do your meetings look like, and how do you hold each other accountable?
1: Okay, sounds good. So let me start with um, our school has always had a principal and two assistant principals. And so um, Holly and I, who you mentioned earlier, I stepped into the principal role when she stepped into the AP role and at that point she and I kind of talked through and we presented information to our school improvement team and we decided not to hire a second um, assistant principal we decided to hire another instructional coach because we felt like principals and APs we get bogged down with a lot of the behaviors maybe a lot of the um, parent contacts that need to happen when there are concerns and so you know, if we had hired another AP, it's just one more person that's going to be responsible for um, a lot of the management things. Um, And so, and we felt like we had one instructional coach and we felt like we needed one for literacy and one for math. And so we asked to change that um, AP position into an instructional coach. So we have seen such success. So we have one coach that focuses on literacy and one coach that focuses on math. Um, and we protect them. They do not do formal observations. They are responsible for providing PD. They are responsible for um, helping lead our PLCs that meet weekly, and then they give feedback to teachers. They're in classrooms. They're working with teachers, and that is such a protected position. They don't do buses. They don't do testing. They don't do behavior. Um, And so then the AP and I just take on all of that. Um, So our team, the four of us, the two coaches, myself and the assistant principal, meet every Monday morning at 8 30. And it's our designated time. We meet for about two hours. And that's very protected because that's when we talk about what we're noticing in classrooms, what we're noticing with teachers or students, you know, what's coming up on our calendar. We're looking at data together. Um, I mean, everything that you can think of, but we make a plan. And so we also meet when the summer starts. And um, I have found money to pay the coaches to work two weeks in the spring when school gets out summer and two weeks in the fall before school starts because the four of us need those four weeks to be ready. And so we lay out when your team meets. And so it's very, it seems maybe micromanaged. And so teachers know that the, these are days and times that this is what we're meeting and this is what our focus is. Um, Interrupt me at any time with, with questions that you have. So let me give you some examples. And so we we don't have a traditional faculty meeting anymore where we all sit around and listen to announcements because we don't have the time for that. So if, if it's information that you need from me, you're going to get it in an email. I'm not gonna stand up and tell you, and I do a ton of calendar invites. (laughs) You're gonna get an invite from me for information that you need or an email. And then that way we save on Tuesday afternoons, those are our days that we set aside where teachers need to plan to be here till about four or 4.30. That's the only day of the week that we require that, but those are the days that we really spend time doing the work that needs to happen and so we are um, part of ICS um, so we are really working on equity in our building and so one of our Tuesdays we focus on whole faculty and we're moving through those modules Um, and and that's just a great time for us to come together and have honest conversations and and it's a space where we have to be able to um, you know, kind of leave everything behind and be able to, you know, talk about what's going on in our building. And so that's one of our Tuesday meetings. And then another Tuesday meeting is just PD. Um, And so we have a plan each year, a focus for that PD. And so right now our district is going on, is in letters training, which is a state initiative. And so all of our K-5 teachers are involved in that letters PD. And it's just a way, because they're doing the online course and the work, but it's a way for them to come together as a faculty and for us to talk about the instructional practices they are learning, how they're using it, making sure that they're supported in the work they're doing. Because we don't want it to be a one and done where you attend the PD and then you don't do anything with it. Um, And so that's one of when we have our professional development days, that's one of our focuses our math is doing a book study with our um, math instructional coach and then social studies and science teachers who are sixth, seventh and eighth grade teachers meet with me and we're doing word mapping Um, and so trying to really teach kids how to break words apart to figure out what what the meaning of those words are. And we feel like that really aligns with letters is a K-5 program. And then we want something consistent 6-8 that follows that um, and felt like word mapping was the right choice for us. So everybody is involved in that PD Tuesday. Um, so we do ICS one day, we do PD one day, we have our committees meet one Tuesday, um, and that's where a lot of the work happens. Each committee has different responsibilities. And then the other Tuesday is our SIT meeting, so our school improvement team meets. So those are kind of our four weekly meetings that happen first, second, third, and fourth Tuesday of each month. Okay. then during Can I jump ahead. in? Go <laughs> so right ahead.
0: Because there's already a lot here. And, and so one of the things I want to point out to listeners, when you talked about converting an AP role to a coach role, Mm -hmm. talked about protecting the time that y'all are meeting, but also protecting that coach's time. And then you talked about changing a faculty meeting over to instead an instructional time. so listeners have probably also heard me talk about six dimensions of organizations, right? We have purpose, people, structures, resources. And the idea is that the work of leadership really is about aligning those four things. And this is a great example of how you've aligned things within the organization. You've aligned people by moving an assistant principal position into a coaching position. You've aligned structures by protecting people's time and making sure that that the policies and the way things work and flow in the school doesn't impede on what those people are doing. And I guess you're also protecting that resource, right, their knowledge and their ability to use that knowledge to support teachers. And I also love with the faculty meeting. So this is one of those quadrant th- three things when we talk about the Eisenhower matrix of important and urgent, important but not urgent, and urgent but not important. And Faculty meetings, I think, are one of those things that exist almost universally that we think they're important, but they're really not because there are so many other ways that we can get that information out to people. And so you've taken an 45 minutes or an hour every week of quadrant three time, and then you have moved it into quadrant two, important but not urgent, and focusing on the work of instructional improvement. So this is just this is great, and I and I want to point those things out to people so that listeners can make those connections and see that when we talk about moving quadrant three into quadrant two, this is not theoretical stuff, right? You've you just you did it,
1: mm-hmm. and and it, and, that, and it's easy. It's easy. You just have to be organized and have a plan in place. And so that's why we spend a lot of time in the summer getting ready for staff to come back, and they know as. They already have it in their calendar. They know what they're required to do ahead of time. There's always an exit ticket when we leave one of our meetings so that we, and then we open our meetings with providing what the um, feedback was from those exit tickets. Um, And so um, I do feel like that's a strength. Our other probably really positive is that our instructional coaches meet weekly with our teams of teachers. And so it looks a little bit different in K-5 they meet with, or in K4, they meet with the four four or five grade level teachers, and they're planning literacy instruction one week and math instruction the next week. And this is, again, an uninterrupted time where, and there is an agenda sent out ahead of time. So um, the teachers know, um, and it is truly planning. It is looking at your standard, looking at where your teacher, where your students are, and figuring out where where you're going, what you need to review. It's it's a time we look at data. It's not the only time we look at data, but we try to include that um, in those meetings. And so, and then for our fifth through eighth grade classrooms, they're departmentalized, so they meet weekly. So the the ELA teacher fifth grade meets weekly with the literacy coach because they're teaching 90 kids, not just 20. Um, And so we want to make sure that that instruction um, is, is what it needs to be, that the rigor is there and the challenge is there for kids and we're holding them to those high expectations. And so I do feel like that's a game changer is that accountability piece and that that intentional planning and really breaking down those standards so they know exactly what they're teaching. There's no questions. And then the coaches do a great job, not only planning with them, but pushing into their classrooms. And so they're in their classrooms, seeing how it works. It could be a co-teaching lesson. It could be, you know, just a concern with that group of kids and second period's a little rowdy. Can you help me? And so they have really fostered such positive relationships because it's non-evaluative. They're their support. Um, and so they're coming in to support. They can ask any questions. Um, and so I do feel like for us at Fairview, that's the game changer right now is that targeted planning and instruction with an individual who um, is so knowledgeable and we've hired the right people for those positions.
0: I think it's interesting there, again, more structures and and structures for the coaches. I and. Mean, you get, that's one of the missed opportunities in, in many buildings that coaches kind of come into this school and there's not that level of coordination and cohesion between the school leaders and the coaches. And then some coaches are left to figure it out themselves. And so working with them to help provide those structures that make it easier for them to effectively use their time, but also make it transparent for them and for teachers and for you everybody knows the role of that coach and you've set it up in a way that is that, that collaborative and supportive role.
1: Well, and it's, it's a, it's a requirement. And so I think, you know, sometimes you do have to, as a principal and an AP, you have to require things. Um, it's not an option. And so they just know that this is, this is how it works here at Fairview school. And so I will, I was trying to think if there was any, I will tell you the other thing about PD that I was thinking of is um We do offer um, more PD to our beginning teachers, and so there are more support for beginning teachers, and we do try to meet with them monthly and um, focus on different topics that they have questions or interest in. You know, classroom management is always with new teachers. Parent communication is always a topic, and so we do try to meet. um, I try to meet with BTs monthly to talk through any concerns, anything that I think they need to know, and just to be available. We also, um, the assistant principal and I meet with grade level teams. We also meet with them every other week. So it's a good time for us to make ourselves available. They can talk about any questions, concerns, it's very informal, and it's a way for us to build relationships with them um, and them to problem solve with us about, it could be individuals, it could be something pertaining to their grade level, we, we kind of leave that a little bit more open to them with what they need support with. Um, and then of course, if we see things like um, in seventh and eighth grade right now, we're seeing higher numbers of students with failing grades. And so that's one thing that we're working on is a more systematic plan, because I think a lot of times when your kids get in middle school, the parent contacts are not what they need to be. And so we're really trying to work on a better plan that supports those kids once they start seeing some failing grades and not until it's too late. So I do, some of it is as they bring to us and some of it is problems that we see. Um, So really feeling like that we try to provide a lot of PD, a lot of support, and then we also have individual teachers who struggle um, and need more support, and they could be on a directed plan through NISES, or it could just be that there something is not working. And so it's kind of like when you think about the tiers of support, the MTSS, we provide those tiers to our teachers as well, and not crying tears, but like <laughs> who needs more support than the the normal support you get. So we do um, look to see what teachers need and provide that.
0: I love that. And, and that's another thing that when we get into some of the real details of the flywheel model, that we do begin to track teachers, not just as groups, but also as individuals. And that we have those discussions about what are the things that they're working on and what are the things that they're focusing on and then how, who's the individual in charge of really leading that, but then how do we as team members also support that? Can, can we go back and revisit your team meeting a little bit? Yes. So you said every Monday, 830. That's that's good. And you said, this is protected time. So I've been in a lot of meetings with principals and assistant principals, and it's an instructional leadership meeting. And 10 minutes in, (laughs) the AP flies out the door. So talk to me about how you protect that time.
1: So we, um, we are very fortunate that we have hired a part, uh, it's not even part-time, but it's a guidance TA who provides more of the guidance core instruction. And so we free up our two licensed counselors to provide more of the tiered support. Um, and so our counselors are on call in the morning when we meet. And so we have two of them that know they carry radios and they know during that time if there's a call on the radio for help. Um, they go and help, and then if it is an emergency, we will stop what we're doing, but typically it's not. Typically it's something, it's a child that has a meltdown or needs just to walk around the building, and so our two counselors, Ashley and Heather, are available to cover during that two-hour block that we're um, usually tied up, and we find that typically Monday mornings, we don't have the behavior. Um, We try to wrap everything up on Friday, and then usually Monday's kind of a slower start, and we don't have the behaviors usually first thing.
0: But I love that that you're you're using data, your discipline data, and other forms of data to determine when the best time is to have that meeting. Fridays also, are the
1: worst. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we know, Don't
1: try to schedule anything on Friday. That's when Friday after
0: time. lunch, right? Because
1: <laughs> you're trying to get it all taken care of before you go home for the weekend. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: and and then you also you again you're building the systems and supports, and I think that's. One of the pieces that I want listeners to really take away too, that you have to protect that time, but you can protect that time. But it it is a conscious choice, right? You are thinking, you know the interruptions will occur if you don't do something. So you look at your resources and build the systems in place so that that time is protected.
1: And you have to be creative. And then you make sure that the people in those roles have the training. So, um, you know, we make sure our counselors have gone to CPI training so that they know how to de-escalate situations. And so I'm feeling like and then our student support team meets weekly as well. So it's myself and the assistant principal, our counselors, our school nurse and our social worker. So we have lots of groups that help support because it's not a one person show but if you have the right people doing the right things and you're communicating often you're going to see that that it it frees up time because you have you can rely on others to help in certain situations
0: and it's interesting as we as we go through this interview I wanted you to talk about teacher development and teacher support but People that are really listening deeply will also hear about all the other people that you're talking about and and the level of teamwork and functioning and collaboration that's going on, which to me says it's not just about you developing teachers, but you're creating the environment that allows everybody to be their best and to do their best work. And, and that's that, that people-centered approach, I think.
1: Well, i giving them leadership opportunities too. So I think, you know, it, it really builds their confidence when they see that they can do things outside of their, maybe their normal, what they had done before. Our guidance counselors used to just provide core instruction and so they weren't really available. And now since COVID, we have kids with lots of needs. And so it's easier for us to have them supporting a TA who's providing core and them providing the tier two and tier three supports, to help kids be able to function in a classroom. So it looks a, like a lot of pulling out and teaching skills and then pushing into the classroom and making sure that kids are using those skills. Um, and so I think that you have to think about that not just in your instruction, but in your social developmental and your social emotional, um, any any of those areas where your kids are struggling.
0: Eleanor, this has been such a rich conversation so far. and. I would I, I'd like to keep going for another half hour. but I think there's been so much, so much really practical advice and examples that you've pulled out today that I want to start to wrap this up because I want people to be able to really focus on on what you've said. This has been fantastic, and I hope you'll be willing to come back on the show again in the future, Of course, okay. So I have a couple questions for you as we wrap okay. this up. And the first one is, what part of your own leadership are you still trying to grow in?
1: Um, slowing down a little bit because I think you can get so caught up in go, 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 do, do, do that you don't take time for those personal relationships that, that you need to foster in your building as well. Because I want teachers to know that, that they can approach me. I am approachable. And um, so I, I'll get a lot of times, there's always a line out your door or I can never find you. And so um, just sometimes I think that we get so caught up in having to do all this work that we forget, like, to take a deep breath and take that time to enjoy the adults around you um, and the kids around you. So I, I, I a lot of times I have to tell myself to slow down a little bit, you know, and enjoy the moments and not move on to the next thing.
0: And what a great message for the time, the season that we're in. If listeners could take away just one thing from today's podcast, what should that be?
1: Um, again, I think it's going to be the relationships. I think I'm having the success I'm having, and I'm, people are willing to do other things because of those relationships. And I don't ask them to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself Um, You will find me in the cafeteria serving lunch some days. You will find me cleaning a bathroom. Um, And so I think you have to show your faculty that you are are one of them and you will step in and do whatever you need to do to make the school successful. And so I think that relationship piece, once you have that and that trust from your faculty, they'll do anything, but you need that before you can move forward with a lot of this hard work. Mm
0: And then is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we wrap this up?
1: I would say the only thing I think I didn't touch on as much is observations. Um, And I know that's part of um, the process that you talked about. That is huge. And so we're in classrooms observing teachers. We do that through the NISA system, which is a requirement but we also do that through our fidelity checks. So we have programs in place that we want teachers to teach to fidelity. So we make sure that as admin and the instructional team, we know those programs and we're pushing in to do those fidelity checks. And then I love the new, we've gotten a new MTSS kind of paperwork process through our county, and we're going in to do observations of kids. And as we're doing those, we're doing fidelity checks of teachers and observations of kids. And I love that because I'm doing those observations with my instructional coaches. So the three of us are divvying all of that out. And I love that piece of it because then I think I truly see more of what's happening in the classroom because it's not announced, it's just show up and and watch kids and watch the, because I'm watching the group that they're in to see how they are compared to their peers. And so I love that piece of it too. Because I think um, you're really seeing what happens day in and day out in the classroom.
0: Thank you for sharing that. that you're that's welcome. another. That's another show too. I think we sometimes underappreciate how complex uh, the observation process is, and and the different ways that we can do it in mm-hmm. order to achieve different ends and support people in different ways.
1: Yes, agreed. Uh,
0: Eleanor, thanks so much.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your time today.
0: Yeah. And, and the same. So have a great day and I hope we'll have you back on soon.
1: Okay. Thanks so much. Okay. Thanks. Bye.
0: Well, colleagues, this brings us to the point in the episode where it's your turn to participate by making an intentional choice. If you do nothing with what you've just heard, then you've spent the last 30 minutes or so being entertained. That's fine. But if you choose to do something with what you've heard, Then you will have made an investment in your own leadership. If you already have a clear idea of how you can apply some of the things that Eleanor talked about today, that's wonderful. If you're not sure, let me offer three possibilities for following up on this podcast. First, Eleanor gave multiple examples of how she adapts the structures in her building to facilitate the work of supporting and growing teachers. So this week, be mindful of the barriers that make it hard for you to support your teachers. And think about the structures and the assumptions behind those barriers. At some point, the structure was built. For example, with faculty meetings, at some point, somebody somewhere decided to have faculty meetings. And the fact that those structures were built also means that at some point, those structures can be changed or dismantled completely. A second thing you can do is just forward the show link to a colleague and say, you got to listen to this. I want us to talk about this. This might be especially powerful if you are part of an instructional leadership team or if you're in a school that doesn't have a strong instructional leadership team. Share this with your principal, your AP, or instructional coach, and just say, hey, I want you to listen to this. This is a really interesting example from a real principal about how their team works together and experiences success. Finally, you could identify one big takeaway or maybe a question from this episode and share it with me. You can share it in writing use your phone to record a quick audio or video or video message, and then just email it to me at frederick at Thank you for including me on your leadership journey. Remember that you can walk more with me by subscribing to my daily leadership email and Quadrant 2, my monthly microjournal. And if that isn't enough, we can walk further together in Apex, my virtual paid community for assistant principals. Apex helps you network with other APs and participate in group coaching with me. You can learn more about Apex and my other offerings at my website at frederickbuskey.com. I look forward to seeing you again on Friday when we recap this week's daily emails. I'm Frederick Buskey, and thank you again for joining me on this episode of the Assistant Principal Podcast. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Cheers.